1: and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Nor is I prefer to think of it Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where me and my brother John talk about death, answer your questions, bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon, and give you dubious advice. I did it in a different order today, John. I like how you're mixing it up, Hank. It's very
0: bold, it's refreshing, it's innovative. I love it. Uh, how are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Uh, we're recording this podcast on a Monday. Uh, it's a beautiful day here in Indianapolis, everything is, is going well, how are you? You say you're well, but you don't
1: sound quite like normal.
0: Well, I'm a little bit tired, um... Okay. And uh, I did go for a five-mile run this morning, which is a little bit exhausting. But no, on the whole, and also I was in New York this weekend, which was also a little bit exhausting. Very fun, though. Uh, my longtime publicist and, and your friend as well, Hank, Elise, got married. Oh, yes. So uh, I was there to celebrate her uh, wedding, which was lovely. Um, but I also uh, am a little bit tired. And And what is new in your life?
1: Oh, I don't know if anything at all is new. I had a baby shower this weekend. We received baby gifts. It was lovely. People were very kind.
0: I believe we sent some things to you as well. I don't know if you've received them yet.
1: I did. I sent you a text message about how very, very nice it all was.
0: Oh, well, uh, as you could tell from the way it was wrapped up, it was mostly me who did the work.
1: (laughs) Well, it was a very, very sweet gesture. Uh, Not just the stuff, but also there were lots of nice little notes as well. So we're really looking forward to it.
0: Yes, the, the thing that I'm most excited about is that we got to pass down... Uh, the little DFTBA Nerdfighteria onesie that someone gave me back in like 2009 <laughs> before Sarah and I even knew we were going to have a kid. Uh, Hank, can I read you a short poem of correction for today? Yes, you may. Yeah. So these days, uh, at least for a little while, we're doing short poems that also take the form of corrections uh, to things we got wrong in previous podcasts. Today's short poem of correction comes from listener Andrew, who writes, There are no stops at high schools. For legal reasons, trust me, I work at Niantic, which, for the record, since we're making corrections, is pronounced Niantic. <laughs> a short poem of correction uh, from listener Andrew, who is employed at Niantic, or possibly Niantic. I still maintain that nobody knows for sure how it's pronounced. It's named after a ship that, that fell into the bottom of the ocean. Is it really? Oh, Yeah. I believe so. I'm not actually positive about that. Uh, now, great, I've already introduced an opportunity for a new correction. Oh, Is it, is it an anagram of, the, of Titanic? One of these days we're going to get everything right in this podcast, but not today. Uh, it does look like it's an anagram of t- Titanic, except that it doesn't have enough T's in it.
1: Yeah, it also has too many ends. There's a couple things keeping
0: it from being a proper anagram of Titanic. <laughs> uh,
1: all right, maybe we oh, should uh, ma-
0: maybe we should move on to some questions from our listeners, Hank. As um,
1: yeah, we gotta we gotta get ourselves into the portion of the podcast where it's okay to be wrong.
0: Yes, right. The dubious advice portion of the podcast. Where the only thing that we are endangering is the lives of the people who take us seriously. By the way, uh, do never never follow our advice. I hope that we've made that clear over the years, but but there's just, there is no worse idea.
1: Well, John, I can see in our shared Google Doc that you're highlighting all kinds of stuff. So maybe you know what you're
0: doing. No, that's, how I ju- that's just how I read. Um, I highlight as I read on the internet. Do you not do that?
1: I do as well. I try not to do it when we are uh, uh, sharing a Google Doc though because then it's, it can be kind of confusing.
0: Okay, yeah, I see you doing it. It's actually super annoying when you do it, but when I do it, it's very helpful. Okay, <laughs> Hank, our first question uh, comes from Mimi who writes, Dear John and Hank, where are all the dead birds? <laughs> After twenty years on this earth, I've only just realized I never see dead birds, but I see live birds everywhere. Where are the dead birds? Any help would be appreciated because their absence has become vaguely panic-inducing to me, Hank.
1: I mean, I gotta say, have you ever been to a grocery store? Because they're full of dead birds—just so oh, many you mean dead like birds, dead chickens. But I think like that you mean any like- restaurant. Uh, the Thanksgiving (laughs) is centered around a dead bird. We basically praise them. Like, yeah, there's a whole restaurant just for dead birds. Um, Uh, I don't think she's
0: talking about, uh, dead birds that you eat. I think she's talking about, you know, songbirds and blue mm -hmm. herons and most of all pigeons.
1: Well, I, yes. So pigeons die in crevasses. Uh, and so they are, they, 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 they find a little place to go die and i know this because we have one of those places at our old apartment uh where there would always be a dead pigeon and we'd like take the dead pigeon out and then there'd be another one it was like this is just a place where pigeons go to die it was like a pigeon graveyard perfect little spot they just loved to go die there um but in and uh birds i think get eaten a lot so small birds if uh there's cats around they will get they will get, you know, taken around, hidden by the animals who eat... Uh, skunks and raccoons also will eat uh, dead birds. Sure. Um, but also live birds, when if they are not feeling well and are slower than normal. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are lots of things that will eat them, take them away. But also I think that a lot of birds actually, uh, they go and die and, and they, they find kind of places to be alone to die, which is interesting. Though also if you, uh, you know, if, if you are a person who who looks to find dead birds, there are lots of places where you can go look. Particularly uh, buildings where they fly into windows and uh, will sometimes land on ledges that are higher up than ground level, and they'll just be full of dead birds if you want some.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually happen to know where all of the pig, the dead pigeons are. There, there, there may be some tiny subset of them that are, you know, in a crevasse next to your old apartment, but almost all of the dead pigeons are underneath the Western Brown Line train stop in the city of Chicago. <laughs> And I used to wonder, like, oh, where are all the dead pigeons, you know? And then uh, once I moved to the Lincoln Square neighborhood in Chicago and started walking under that train stop every day, I learned that all the dead pigeons, thousands of them, are under that train stop. Um, And I think you're right that animals eat them. That's the other thing that happens to them. But mostly (laughs) my belief, Hank, is that uh, a lot of birds, when they die, um, their bodies and their souls both disappear from the earth at the same time <laughs> and um, are placed into an otherworldly realm. But I don't have I don't have good data on that. That's just um, that's just kind of what I suspect. Yeah. But as far as the dead pigeons go, um, Mimi, I don't know if you live in or near Chicago, but regardless of where you live, if you're in the United States, um, when a pigeon Uh, feels that they are approaching death they begin a great migration that ends (laughs) underneath the western train stop on the brown line uh in chicago so anywhere in the united states the continental u.s that's where all the dead pigeons go but as for the other birds i believe that they um that their bodies and souls are taken to another worldly realm hank should we move on to another question
1: Okay, John, this one is from uh, Anonymous, who asks, Dear Hank and John, As an American Muslim high school student, I am often asked why I don't celebrate Christmas, as the people telling me this believe it is no longer a religious holiday. I often like to give funny and mischievous answers to these questions. However, I cannot seem to think of many for this particular question. Could you help me out? John, can you help this person out?
0: Yeah, I mean, if it's first off, if it's not a religious holiday, how come there are so many people telling me that it's a religious holiday? <laughs> like... <laughs>
1: (laughs) (laughs) What? Okay, so can we, can we, if if you're saying it's not a religious holiday, can we recognize the first syllable of the word?
0: Yeah, I mean, first off, (laughs) right, let's, let's. We need to find a word for it other than Christmas if it's not going to be a religious holiday anymore. <laughs> Secondly, the answer I would actually give to this question, Hank, is that even if Christmas is not a religious holiday, it's a terrible holiday. <laughs> now, Hank, as you know, I have a long-standing uh, opposition to Christmas. I think it is a like a weird and totally ineffective and inefficient mishmash of different like mythologies that make no sense when they collide together. Uh, but... The biggest problem I have with Christmas is that I have a serious problem with gifts. So what I would say anonymous is I would say like, I don't love gift holidays because they are economically inefficient, because they result in me getting a lot of things that I didn't want and giving people a lot of things that they didn't want. And so what I do instead is not celebrate this holiday, regardless of whether it is secular or religious, because it is (laughs) cray-cray.
1: I just disagree with you on some of the things that you have said. I think that gift giving is uh and not an economic activity. it is a surrogate for the showing of appreciation for other humans and love uh and that's well then
0: it should be it should always involve gifts that cost nothing or very little to make that are like made by hand with the sweat of your brow and with love rather than like picked up at target at midnight on christmas eve
1: john this is america the the clearest surrogate for value and appreciation that we have is obviously the u.s dollar Well, then we should only give
0: dollars for for Christmas. Actually, I wouldn't have a problem with that, Hank. If if you either give a present that you worked hard on that some kind of like craft or handmade thing that it captures your love for someone, or you give them cold, hard cash, I have no problem with Christmas. Unfortunately, (laughs) what almost always happens is that you pick up a copy of Connect Four for somebody at Target at midnight on Christmas Eve, and you're like, remember how you like board games that are really easy? And then they're like, "No, <laughs> I don't.
1: No, I don't remember that. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. Oh man. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't feel like I have a particularly good solution for this somewhat complicated problem. In in, in fact, uh, Crispus is. It, it has. There there are a lot of ways in in which. Americans have come to feel that Christmas is an American holiday and not a religious one. And that is actually fairly separate from the truth, despite the fact that we have a hard time actually recognizing that.
0: Yes, I, I totally agree with you on that. I think it's really important to understand that Christmas is not an American holiday uh because christianity is not the american state religion it never was this country wasn't set up that way and it never should be um i'm also sure uh that in anonymous's life this is one of many examples uh in which they have to grapple with a country that expects you to be a certain kind of way to be properly american which is of course uh deeply offensive and wrong and again it always has been like the united states uh was never this this idea that the u.s was was at one point like a quote-unquote christian nation is just ludicrous it's just not true there was never that time it harkens back to a past that doesn't exist like so much radical regressivism it harkens back to a past that didn't exist so it is very frustrating, but if you're trying to deal with it in a funnier, or mischievous way, which I applaud, I would just say that I'm opposed to gift giving. That should shut down the conversation. <laughs> Not Um,
1: religiously. I just think it's an economically bad idea. uh,
0: Yeah. Actually, you know what, Hank? I want to just, I want to really quickly back up a little bit and be serious here for a second and say that I'm not always opposed to gift giving. I'm just trying to have fun on the podcast. (laughs) Like, for instance, I don't know if you know about this, Hank, but I recently received a gift of 378 Snickers bars, and it meant the world to me. So I do want to I do want to just pause and say how grateful I am to my friends at the Mars company for the gift of those 378 Snickers bars, which truly is the gift that keeps on giving, because no matter how many I eat a day, there are still seem to be a lot.
1: <laughs> I'm Very sad for you when they finally run out. Uh, We got another question, it's from Deo, who asks, Dear Hank and John, Whenever I hang out with friends, I act in a certain way. I crack jokes and I get all hyper, but when I'm with a different group of friends, I kind of notice that I act very differently from how I am with my other friends. I'm more mild than wild. I'm worried that there will come a time when all of us will hang out, and I will lose control over who I am and my identity, or they will think that I'm fake because of this. Also, I find myself admiring people who act the same around everybody. Their personalities never seem to falter. Am I being fake? How do I find out who I am independent of my friends or other people? How does anyone truly, quote, be themselves? Well, at the end there, we got to a question that is unanswerable. But I will say that I'm just (laughs) like you. I I am totally a social chameleon, and when I'm with one group of people, I act the way that they do, and I feel like I just try and fulfill people's expectations, and I, I find that to be fun, and I find that to be part of who I am, that I act different ways in different situations around different people, and I don't think that that's a contradiction at all.
0: Yeah, I don't know, Hank, if you listen to Invisibilia, but they had a great podcast about personality And the way that we think of personality as this monolithic thing that doesn't change, that doesn't respond to circumstance, when, of course, that isn't the truth. That isn't the truth about people like we all contain multitudes. We're all shy in some circumstances and not in others and and, you know, angry in some circumstances and not in others. And the personality is way less. Uh, stable than we believe it to be, because mm-hmm. the idea that it isn't stable is kind of terrifying,
1: right, yes, yes, and Deo definitely feels that feeling, and I think that we are often told to you know be ourselves, and that can be very difficult when we are trying to build this conception of who we are, and then who we actually are defies that expectation
0: yeah how do you do how do you deal with that Hank like uh how do you make sense of uh, like a self that feels like it can't get pinned down. That you you can't really identify what makes you you. By the way, I am asking this because I'm writing about it, and if you could solve the problem for me, that would be a great
1: assistance. <laughs> um, I read a uh, so it's probably the the first like real novel I read. I guess I should say that Jurassic Park is a real novel, but the the first the first uh, difficult novel I read was. Uh, Mar- Red Mars by Kim Stanley Robinson and there are a number of characters in there that are this way and that and that is in in a way that was very appealing to me as a young person and I think this is also true of a lot of books that I like um that was that was praised as um, as a, a skill that people were using to to their own advantage and to the advantage of their society, and different characters, some of them were using it primarily to their own advantage, and s- some of them to the advantage of society, and um, and so that made me feel really like kind of proud of my ability to to change in different situations. There were definitely times where I felt ashamed of it when friends would be like, "Why are you acting different? Why are you not acting like yourself?" Mm-hmm. and um, and and realizing that yes, I, because I was in a different social situation, I was acting different than they were used to, um, and and so I, I certainly had have, have felt shame about that, and and that I, you know, and, and like I'm faking to some extent, but I uh, I think that it's that that like the me who I am is a fun game to play, um, and I can I should and can I can and. Am able to, I should be able to and I am able to uh, adopt different, different ways of being. And that's something that I can be proud of, not something that I should be afraid of. So
0: what makes you you is essentially nothing or is like or, or, or the you-ness of you is constructed partly by you, partly by forces outside of you. And that's just something that you're able to accept.
1: Well, it's the thing that I, that, that I consider to be me to be to be a, a big part of who i am. Now also i have like there are there are things that i don't ever like that i that aren't personality that i think define me more significantly than my personality like my values and mm. uh, and like my like philosophy of of how i should live and how the world is um mm-hmm. and th- and those things when when they get called into question are a lot more uncomfortable for me
0: okay that's that's actually very helpful thank you uh let's move on to another question uh this one that was a totally <laughs> selfish series of questions but i enjoyed listening to to you talk about it anyway this one comes from peter who writes dear john and hank have you noticed that hank and john would fit pretty well in place of the words stacy's mom from the song stacy's mom love peter
1: <laughs> hank and john I got it going on
0: uh, yep it That's is true. true but that sure I, is true. But I can't I, help but notice that John and Hank would also fit. It just wouldn't rhyme anymore. Nope. John nope.
1: and Hank have would got be bad
0: going on. I'm, I don't actually know the song.
1: Uh, well, you did a good job. It, the, the, yeah, if it were John and Hank, it would have to be, John and Hank have got it going, Hank. And that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so it pretty pretty much has to be Hank and John have got it going on. Uh, and I mean, couldn't, is, it be, whew, couldn't it be John and Hank have got a yellow tank? John and Hank have got a yellow tank. Yep.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've always wanted, I guess actually I'd prefer a purple tank. If I'm going to have some kind of tank, I want a purple, a big, beautiful purple tank.
1: All right. Well, uh, I am looking to the, forward to the fan art. Um, if that... I am also
0: looking forward to the uh, John and Hank have got a purple tank t-shirt available soon from DFTBA.com.
1: Oh, man. Oh, goodness gracious.
0: I'm going to just real quick. I'm going to look up the lyrics to Stacey's mom. Mm. and um i'm gonna let you know oh my the the um the video is predictably here we go (laughs) uh i i I mean i have to say this just reading the lyrics here on the google play music site i can't i can't help but feel that this isn't the most sophisticated pop song ever written but it basically be (laughs) um hank and john have got it going on repeated four times Mm -hmm. um and then uh Hank, can I come over after school? We can hang out by the pool. Uh, did John get back from his business trip? Uh, <laughs> is he there or is he trying to give me the slip? Oh, my God. It's
1: like this was written by an algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fountains of Wayne. I mean, it's a
0: don't get me wrong. It's a great song, but like so many pop songs, it completely falls apart when you try to read it as poetry. Um <laughs> Okay, I think we should move on because now that I read the rest of the lyrics, I realize that I really don't want that song to be about you and I at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I think I think it would have to be fully from the top down restructured uh, for Hang and John.
0: Yeah, we'd have to weird out it for sure. Um, so uh, let's let's move on to an, another question from one of our listeners. All Thanks.
1: right. This one's from Dana, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I have a slightly death-related question for your comedy podcast. I feel like the phrase, live each day like it's your last, has been haunting me. I keep hearing it in media and conversations, and it makes me wonder, how is that possible? If I knew that today was going to be my last day, I would want to spend the day having awesome adventures and doing new things with my family and friends. I would not want my last days to be spent like my days currently are, wake, school, study, sleep, work, repeat i'm not saying that i don't enjoy life i just don't necessarily enjoy it on a daily basis how does one actually live each day like it's their last is it possible why do people say this
0: yeah i mean there are lots of cliches that i think contain terrible advice but this might be the worst one because of course if you were actually living each day like it was your last you wouldn't be having like a bunch of awesome adventures you'd spend most of the day weeping um, <laughs> and desperately trying to make sure that well, you said wait, goodbye wait, 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 to all wait. of these people you loved. And also, is my are my affairs in order? Is there anything that I can do to make matters a little bit better for the people I love after I'm gone? I, I just think it's the stupidest idea. Like, if you live each day like it's your last, for one thing, you're going to be really sad most days. But for another thing, you're also going to be like... I have the same problem with Carpe Diem, Hank, because... If all you do is seize the day, this day is the only day, all I have is the present, then you're never planning for the future, which is a big problem because there is almost always a future. Like it almost never is your last day. So like you wake up the next day and you're like, boy. I really probably could have prepared slightly better for today.
1: Uh, I Well, first, I, I think that you are correct that if you live each day like as if you are going to die tomorrow and you know this fact, then you're going to spend every day calling your family and they're going to be like, oh my God, no, you're not dying. <laughs> uh, secondly, though, I think that, the, the, that yes, the sees the day is more the expression that is trying to be gotten across, not that uh, it is your last but that uh, it may as well be. And and you are right that uh, only one out of, like, 30,000 days will be your last day, uh, and that's pretty good. Oh, no, more than that. More than that.
0: Yeah, and I think you should celebrate this fact. I think that, like if you if you in all likelihood have a future to plan for at least part of your day should be spent preparing for that future like school is a good example of this like i found college to be pretty fun but i was also conscious of the fact that i was in college partly so that i could you know enjoy adulthood more and i don't regret that investment of time at all
1: no i and i i like to live each day as if i will live a long long time and i just uh i i looked it up because my rough math i was uh, i was not sure of and it turns out that john it's less than less than one in every 30,000 days, and on average, mm. one in every 27,375 days will be your last if you live in the U.S.
0: So, but you, you could you could get 30,000 days. It's not like a completely unrealistic Oh, number. sure,
1: sure, yes, yes. All it's right. often, often, yes.
0: I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for 30 grand. That would be, that would seem like victory to me. Um <laughs> Uh, but oh, yeah, man. I don't think that you should live every day like it's your last I think you should live every day as if you were going to have a long and productive life The other thing is that if you live every day like it's your last you never save anything Like not just not just money, but you don't save anything because like yeah, it's all going away I just I don't have that free spiritedness inside of me. Hank. I am the least free spirit. I have ever met pretty,
1: uh, You are pretty you are pretty confined spirit John I but I also like. I, I want to say that I spend a, like a huge amount of my days investing in the future. Like, for example, this podcast isn't going to go up until next week. And so if I was going to yeah. live my every day like it was on my last, I would not be recording this podcast uh so i'm planning respectfully
0: i know i wouldn't either i enjoy it but i don't enjoy it nearly that
1: much (laughs) oh yeah it'd be really good it'd be like hey so john just found out he's gonna die tomorrow so we decided to record a podcast for you this is uh it's going to be a little bit of a of a more macabre dear hank and john than usual (laughs) which is saying
0: something um (laughs) all right hank let's move on to another question from our listeners this one by the way you can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We always forget to say that, Hank. And yet somehow people find a way, which I appreciate, but it's hankandjohn <laughs> at gmail.com is our email address. Okay, Hank, this question comes from Sydney who writes, Dear John and Hank, I need some dubious advice on a very important grammatical issue. It's how to shorten the term as per usual. People usually say usual out loud as huge like as per huge By the way, when Sydney what? says people. I think Sydney is referring to yeah. her peers who are I'm guessing 24 years younger than I am. Anyway, how do you spell <laughs> the huge in as per huge? Does this make any sense? I just want to be able to write as per use without saying in parentheses I shortened that from usual. <laughs> I think. I mean, Sydney, you are my hero Uh, on every level. I love every part of this question.
1: I I I think it's pretty clear. I I think it's Y O O J. It's not Y O
0: O J. If you write as As per per Y O O J, -J, people will actually pronounce. They'll have to like pause and they'll be like as per huge
1: (laughs) as per huge. Is that is Donald Trump saying
0: huge? What is happening with as per huge? (laughs) No, you got to get the shh in there. So, I'm going to go Y-O-O-S-H, as per yoush. Nope, that doesn't work either. No,
1: definitely not. Definitely not. It's yoush. It's def- Y-O-O-J, W-O-G-H, as per uh, that That's whoosh. That's an, that's
0: an existing word, <laughs> W-O-O-S-H. We can't use an existing word. I said word. g
1: g h g h uh, but anyway. Okay, I'm going to go with for woosh
0: also works. I'm going to go with U D G E E. The second E is silent. Um, <laughs> it could be pronounced Udge, but I, I think that it will get across Huge. This is an incredibly uh, difficult question, Hank. This might be the hardest question we've ever been asked to answer on Dear Hank and John.
1: Uh, Y-O-U-S-H. As for yush. Nope. Nope. As per yush, As per huge. Yush with a J. You got to get the Udge. Y-O-U-Z-S-H.
0: Huge. Y-O-U-Z-S-H. I mean, that that is definitely wrong. I'm looking at it. I just typed it out. It's You're close, though. I think this- It's I think, also more letters than usual, just to be clear. Well, yeah, no, there's definitely no way to spell it with fewer letters than are in usual. No, which, Y-O-O-J. Y-O-O-J, huge. But doesn't that doesn't huge sound like Donald Trump saying huge?
1: It does. It does. Yes.
0: You've got to get the sh in use. Is it Y O O S H? That's yush. Dang it.
1: As for Y O O J S H? As for yush? Y O O J S
0: H. I don't dislike Y O O J S H, although it looks very weird. I um. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I agree. It looks very weird. Uh, I mean,
0: I don't think that... I don't know if this is going to be entertaining to our podcast listeners, but you oh, should really oh, oh, see Hank it. and I shared Google Doc right now. It's hilarious. <laughs> 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 it's just Hank and I desperately typing out things that sound vaguely like as per usual. So somewhat on this topic, Hank, when my books are tra- are, are published in languages with other alphabets, especially in, in um, like Russian or... or Countries where there is no J sound They use a mm. mix of the like D and X sound To make the J of like J, Dijon basically It's like mm-hmm. Dijon mm-hmm. Um, And the, so the, like, there's the like Sh sound of, of the X Like letter and the duh sound of D And so they usually <laughs> Translate my name in such A way that I can sort of read the Cyrillic Alphabet but I always read it as like This book was by D. John Green um, And <laughs> <laughs> and I think we're running up against a similar problem, which is that the Latin alphabet has no way of of saying as per use, Which I'm almost going to suggest, Sydney, that even though it's going to make you feel like an old fuddy-duddy, you just spell out usual because I don't think there's any way that we can get to use with our
1: alphabet. What, what about what about the O with the unlaut? Oh, like why unlauted O J E? Oh, that's brilliant! It's brilliant. Wait, what are you? What how are you spelling it? Why uh,
0: umlauted U J E J E with an umlaut as per huge? No, that's still J. As, but maybe it's an, still huge. Why
1: umlauted but like luge, u-j. I'm, what I'm hearing is
0: huge E. I
1: can't type an umlauted U. Apparently, I don't know how to do you're it on my keyboard.
0: Uh, Sydney, we figured it out, but it does involve an umlaut, <laughs> and I don't know if that's on your uh, iPhone keyboard. But um, I would go with as per huge. I don't know why I assume, by the way, that Sydney has an iPhone and types the iPhone. It's like, I feel like I know her, although I don't. Um, but as per uge, with, with an umlaut is the way. That's the way. Yeah,
1: maybe just umlauted U-J-E.
0: Oh, that's good. Umlauted U-J-E. That's simple. It's fewer letters than usual. It also, it's uh, as per uge. Nope. I don't like the J. I'm going to stick with with Y umlauted U-S-H. Maybe S-H-E.
1: <laughs> well, it's possible that we spend spent enough time talking about well, this.
0: Well, I almost feel like we should start a spinoff podcast um,
1: <laughs> where,
0: <laughs> where we just decide upon new spellings for uh, abbreviations. I'm into it. <laughs> or how to pronounce things. Like, Hank, do you ever wonder how to, uh, like, remember back in the day... Um, when instead of saying brb if someone was going to be um gone for a while from the internet they would write afk
1: Mm -hmm, away from keyboard yep
0: i always used to pronounce that in my head as afk sure but i've never known how to pronounce brb you know is it burb sure is it brub
1: burb Burb. That's, uh, that's that makes sense it's interesting when we look at words that don't have vowels, the noise that we put in. I talked to a linguist about this one time. Is this sort of like what we call a, like a neutral vowel sound? I don't know if we call mm-hmm. it that. But in, in English, it's a it's sort of a U sound, like uh, and like burb, b Uh and, and actually, if you listen to English very systematically, though that's most of the noises we make are these uh noises. And we don't even think about it. But like if I just said about... Mm-hmm. That's an A, but in fact, I just said uh, about. Right. Uh, it's a about, and so like it's more of a U noise than an A noise. Who knows why and how ling- linguists figure this stuff out? But I was fascinated to talk about it, and that is a really great story I told. That was a
0: really great story, but it wasn't as good as the twelve minutes that we spent <laughs> analyzing Dude. how to write
1: as per huge, Oh man, I feel like we're 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 probably I feel like we're at a low. Questions per episode right now. <laughs> yeah, we haven't. This has
0: not been our best work. Yeah. Uh, today's podcast is brought to you by uh, our best work. <laughs> y- you didn't get it today.
1: Today's <laughs> podcast is also brought to you by Stacy's mom. Uh, she has a, <laughs> a, a purple tank.
0: And she also has it going on. Um, it's easy to forget that Stacy's mom has it going on because they only remind you about it 16 times over the course of the song. Well, I mean, but, but she does. It's important to tell you
1: because you're so distracted by
0: her purple tank. It's true. I mean, it's weird because, like, why do you really want to hang out with Stacy's mom? Is it because you think that she's beautiful? Or is it because you wish to acquire uh, this purple tank that she's driving around? Who knows? Or maybe just spend a little bit of time in it. Today's podcast is also brought to you by the Western Brown Line L-Stop, in the city of Chicago, containing all of the world's dead pigeons.
1: And finally, today's podcast is brought to you by The Noise, uh. The Noise, uh. It sounds like a U noise, but it's really just everywhere and everything we say all the time.
0: Uh, Can we go ahead and uh, answer one one more question from our listeners? Oh, sure. Great. Uh, This one comes from Rachel, who asks, Dear John and Hank, are people who have a large Internet presence and or have lots of information about themselves available on the Internet bothered when fans ask them questions that could have been found on their Wikipedia page? For example, I was curious about how Hank learned so much about science, but then I realized I could Google it instead of waiting to ask if we ever met.
1: Yeah, I get that So much. People email me long emails that clearly took a significant amount of time to write uh, to find out information that is right there if you just type in uh, just the three words that you were looking for.
0: Yeah, but I think they ask you precisely because they don't want to get the information um, from these sources. They want to get the information from you. Like, I have a theory about this that we really enjoy learning from people much more than we enjoy learning from machines. Like I like to get my news from people. Um, I know that it's biased and I know that it's, you know, not a particularly efficient system. It's not the only news source I use, but I really enjoy hearing people's take on the news as they're telling me about it. Um, And I think that's like a human thing. We want to interact with people much more than we want to interact with Wikipedia pages. That said, it does sometimes get a little bit annoying. Um, But I also don't feel like people should have a response. I mean, if if it's for like a school report, that's one thing. But if I'm having an interaction with someone, I don't feel like they should, you know, have a responsibility to look me up on the internet before we hang out. That's
1: weird. Uh, No, I, I I agree with you, but there are times like, for example, when, uh, the dates for when VidCon is are on the website, VidCon.com and people email me asking me what the dates for VidCon are. And, and I'm like, yeah, I just, I don't know what to say. Like, this is not the efficient way to get this information. If, if I email you back, it will take a very long time uh, right. in comparison to the amount of time it would have taken to go to vidcon.com and and look at the dates that are on there. Yeah, front no, I page. agree with
0: you about that stuff. Uh, slightly off topic, Hank, why is your Wikipedia page so much better than my Wikipedia page? Like like, what devil did you make some deal with <laughs> in order to get, uh, like, one of the best biographical Wikipedia pages on the whole freaking internet? Well, my Wikipedia page, with, with gratitude to everybody um, who has contributed to it, is a dumpster fire. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> I don't know uh, what you're talking about oh wow it is nice look at this chart
0: i know your wikipedia page has a chart and then they sort of like imported the chart onto my wikipedia page but it doesn't look nearly as good um
1: oh no no it doesn't
0: yeah i know (laughs) Uh, your wikipedia page is truly truly excellent and i am profoundly i would be lying if i didn't like say that i am profoundly jealous of it because i am
1: well i'll tell i'll tell you john i haven't looked at my wikipedia page in a long time uh Though the last time I did, I did fix something. <laughs> I remember being like, that's not true. That's, that's not true. That's not a true thing.
0: I saw uh, my friend Matt De La Pena last night, and I went to his Wikipedia page uh, before I um, met up with him. He's a great author. He won the Newbery Award this year uh, for his brilliant book, Last Stop on Market Street. But... Um, I was, I was meeting up with Matt I just wanted to remind myself um, Whether his first book had come out the same year as mine Because I remembered that But I wasn't sure if I was like misremembering it So I went to his Wikipedia page And um, that led me to another Wikipedia page About one of his books um, Where the first sentence was um, Something, something, something And the book was also selected As a New York Times public library Book for the D's nuts And that was it <laughs> <laughs> like somebody went to the wikipedia page just out of the word "D's nuts replaced the word teenage and that was it <laughs> that was it that was their
1: that was what they chose uh, to do
0: with their one wild and precious life
1: here is something that looks like uh that looks like Wikipedia vandalism, but is not. Uh, under the Brotherhood 2.0 section of my Wikipedia page, it says that our videos uh, feature lots of different things, and the final thing in the list of things that those videos featured was intercourse between giraffes as the thumbnail for videos.
0: Mm, yeah, I that's just, not something nope, that's, I'm super proud of, but it is true.
1: They did decide to put that right there at the last thing, just so you, it really sticks <sighs> in your mind.
0: Well, so what can you do, Hank? Life is full of uh, life is full of regrets. And it's hard to regret those videos because they got like 40 million views.
1: I, I mean, John, I got to get money for Snickers somehow. It's not like they're just sending them to me for free. It's true, Hank. It's not like
0: they grow on trees or just arrive at your doorstep at 378 at a time because <laughs> you're not me. Okay, uh, Hank, let's move on to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. What is the news from Mars this week?
1: NASA is testing out its new new uh, space launch system. This is the the new gigantic rocket that will carry astronauts to deep space in the Orion capsule. The space launch system is going to be bigger than the Saturn V rocket that took astronauts to the moon, uh, and it has four big, giant engines that are very similar, in fact, uh, almost exactly the same, as the engines that uh, took the space shuttle up, uh, but there will be more of them, and they are running them at a higher thrust amount, using a different controller brain thing to figure out how exactly all of the fuel goes into the thing, and how they adjust the amount of thrust it's being Uh, that's being generated. Uh, So they tested this thing out. It's amazing. You can watch a video of it. It's just seven straight minutes of this thing just blasting out energy. Uh, And it worked great. Uh, They got it up to, like, I don't know what this means, but they got it up to 111% thrust, so that seems impossible, but uh, they ran them for the space shuttle at 104, 106% thrust, so I guess that that's a thing that you can do. And, uh, and... It, it operated uh, well, it seems it didn't damage itself at all, and it's a step toward our future as a deep space society, getting humans outside of near-Earth orbit, and uh, maybe to the moon, maybe to an asteroid, maybe to Mars.
0: All right, well, we will uh, put try to put that uh, video up on the Patreon page so that you can uh, enjoy it, seven minutes of uh, pure energy being released out into the atmosphere sounds like a fascinating watch
1: <laughs> it's really
0: loud uh, yes i can imagine um in uh in afc wimbledon news hank uh yeah. afc wimbledon ha- have acquired their first point of the league one oh. season <sighs> you got a tie it was not a moment uh where the afc wimbledon bathed themselves in glory hank uh however Uh, They did draw nil-nil against Northampton away. It's always good to get an away point. Uh, That's a pretty good result. Uh, On the other hand, Northampton is near the bottom of the table. AFC Wimbledon, (laughs) however, Hank, is now off the bottom. Mm. Sheffield United is in last place uh, with one point for the season after four games played. AFC Wimbledon... Also has one point for the season after four games played, but has a slightly better goal differential. Um, So we have begun our inexorable march from the basement
1: to the top. You start at the top alphabetically, went all the way down to last, and now you're going to claw your way all the way back up.
0: Well, it's really important, actually, to have uh, had this bad run of four games, Hank, so that at the end of the season, when they play Drake, started from the bottom. Now we're here. Um, it will be more a more powerful uh, right. thing. Yes. So I'm. I I remain. I was going to say I remain optimistic, but that is that is far too strong of an adjective. I remain. Um, I remain conscious of the fact that unlikely things happen.
1: Yes. Yes. How's that? Well, it's a thing that happens every day, yes. John. Every time I'm driving my car and I look in front of me at the car at the car in front of me and, and I look at its license plate, I think, what are the odds that those numbers would be on that car right in front of me? And there's nothing special about those numbers, but those numbers in particular, it's just very, very unlikely. Uh, and it happens every day.
0: And the odds are phenomenally low. And yet the, the unlikely happens all the time. That's part, a big part of what makes human life uh, so uh, beautiful. And also a big part of what makes human life so terrifying. Hank, <laughs> what did we learn today? Oh,
1: goodness gracious. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I also, I, I mean, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the main thing we learned. We learned that it takes two full-grown adults a solid 20 minutes to spell the word huge.
1: <laughs> <use. laughs> uh I learned where all the dead pigeons are. Uh, there's like six or seven of them at my apartment building and 30 billion in Chicago underneath the train station. I mean, that's,
0: that's not even an exaggeration. There are actually 30 billion of them. We learned, we learned not to spend every day as if it were your last.
1: Yes, yes, in the course of today's podcast, we learned that John Green uh, spends every day as if he will have more days. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh, yeah, definitely. And finally, of course, we learned that Stacy's mom has a really nice purple tank. It's an amazing thing. And it'd be nice if we appreciated her for uh, her accomplishments rather than just, you know her uh, what she looks like
0: indeed it is not easy in the united states even with our relatively lax gun laws uh to acquire a weaponized vehicle
1: <laughs> no matter what the color
0: no i mean in fact i wonder if there is a purple tank on earth allow me to google purple
1: it. purple tank who can do it fa- purple tank top no i don't want a purple tank oh top. yeah it's
0: almost exclusively purple tank tops but there is one purple tank.
1: Ah, uh, those? Photo of the
0: day, pink oh. for peace. No, purple for peace, please. Well, it's pretty purple. No, I'm not seeing... It's pretty purple. I'll tank. tell you what, Hank. I see a lot of purple tank tops. Maybe... <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've clearly... There's <laughs> just... is a very popular color for tank tops. But there is one purple-ish tank um, in in Slovenia. Uh, I wish I could tell you the city name, but unfortunately those letters do not go together in a way that can be pronounced by human tongues.
1: Not does that, yes. I think that it's pronounced huge.
0: <laughs> I thought you were actually going to take a crack at it, but no, no, you went for the easy <laughs> joke. Uh, thank you for listening to today's <laughs> podcast. Uh, you can email us once again at hankandjohn at gmail.com. If you want to support this podcast, we'd appreciate it. You can go to Patreon Patreon.com. We have fun live shows every month uh, for our Patreon subscribers, uh, but you can also get lots of other cool stuff. Patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John. Um, our podcast is edited by the great Nicholas Jenkins. Our theme music is by Gunnarola. Hank. I missed a few things. Our,
1: Rosianna Hals Rojas helps us out with questions. Our intern is Claudia Morales. Uh, you can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. And said as they that. Say an hour. I just
0: I definitely just Did you that, say all one, those things? I, that one
1: I nailed. I've said it like three
0: times in the podcast. <laughs> I've actually only said it twice, but now I have a strong brand relationship with exaggerating. So I exaggerated because now that's my thing.
1: Well, I, I was distracted while you were talking me about this pink tank, uh, which maybe we'll put on the Patreon page as well. Uh, and yeah, it's a, be- it's a beauty, as they say in our hometown. Don't, don't forget, forget to, to be awesome. awesome.